Wild Precious Life is brought to you in part by Booksmith, an independent bookstore and mainstay of San Francisco's Haight-Ashbury District since 1976. Booksmith offers signed copies by local authors and ships worldwide. Shop online at booksmith.com. And we're brought to you by the Ashland University Low Res MFA. Expand your writing practice and refine your craft within the supportive community of Ashland University's Master of Fine Arts in Creative Writing. Our accomplished faculty will help you find your voice and complete your degree at your own pace. Learn more and enroll today at ashland.edu. Does anyone here ever feel like a failure? Maybe not a failure exactly, but a disappointment. Like, what happened to all those big dreams you had for yourself? Maybe you won track races when you were younger and dreamed of running marathons. Or maybe you painted, or dreamed of touring with a theater company, or going to space camp, or NASCAR, or Carnival. Most of us didn't grow up dreaming small. We weren't going to deliver the mail. We were going to drive a race car, or rocket to the moon. I dreamed of becoming a ballet dancer. And then I got boobs, and a butt and realized that the chorus line of Swan Lake was unlikely to be a home for me. Now I mostly just bop around my kitchen to 80s and 90s tunes when I'm sautéing chicken. I used to dream of a job in publishing. I envisioned myself sharing a six-floor walk-up with five other low-paid interns. We'd drink martinis at happy hour and read thousands of weekly pages in search of the next great novel. But I don't actually like martinis. And there's no room for my three kids in that imaginary tiny apartment. So now, like most folks, I fall in love with books after they're published instead of before. The reality is that most of us settled. We didn't marry a movie star or model full-time or sing on Broadway. We never went on that archaeological dig. And it might be tempting to look at the forgotten shells of our dreams and see defeat. In many ways, reality is not as shiny. But it's also surprisingly satisfying and sometimes even beautiful. I may not have had the bone structure to be a ballerina, but I'll tell you what, these hips of mine, they're great for holding babies. I never worked in publishing. But now I interact with publishing houses all the time, booking guests for this show. Our dreams grow and change with us. And in plenty of ways, we become our own slightly adjusted dreams come true. Andrew Sean Greer, our guest today, has created one of my favorite dreamers in literature. His fictional character, Arthur Less, is a relatively unknown writer living a sometimes disappointing life. Very little of what Arthur Less dreams ever goes quite according to plan. But he is absolutely delightful. And somewhere amid the chaotic shambles of his dashed hopes, Arthur always manages to piece together a new longing. And I wanted to meet the writer who invented him. So Andrew Sean Greer is the author of seven works of fiction, including The Confessions of Max Tivoli and Less. He has a new book out, 
now, less is lost. Greer has taught at a number of universities, including the Iowa Writers' Workshop, and has been a Today Show pick, a New York Public Library Coleman Center Fellow, and a judge for the National Book Award. Andrew Sean Greer is also a recipient of an NEA grant, a Guggenheim Fellowship, and the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction. He lives in San Francisco and Milan. Andrew Sean Greer, welcome to Wild Precious Life. Thank you so much for having me. We are delighted to have you here today to chat about Less is Lost, the sequel to your Pulitzer Prize winning book, Less. And certainly for folks listening, if you haven't yet had the fantastic opportunity to read Less, the first book, you should definitely pick it up. But I recently heard writer and bookseller Ann Patchett say that she feels Less is Lost also stands completely on its own. And I was doubtful when I went into it, but she's she's actually right. You don't need to have read the first to read the second. Um, I think you can be captivated by this misbegotten hero who's sort of part Don Quixote, part Odysseus, maybe part Amelia Bedelia, and, and just all wonderful. <laughs> um, but it's possible a few of our listeners will not yet have had the honor of discovering your writing. So, Andrew Sean Greer, will you please give us the honor of just telling us a little bit of your story? I mean, I my story, as I see it, is that I, I uh, always wanted to be a writer since I could read. I wanted, I was, it's sort of like fan fiction. I would start to write when I was 10. Like I wrote like a version of Watership Down with squirrels that was five pages long. And that was my first like novel. Isn't that adorable? (laughs) (laughs) So I just kept, I just kept wanting to be a writer. I was raised, I'm an identical twin. I grew up in suburban Maryland. My parents are both chemists, um, scientists from, uh, they both grew up in the South. And, uh, I just kept working and working, and I um, didn't publish until I was 30, which is normal. Uh, and I just did odd jobs up until then. And I got some attention for a book of my third book called The Confessions of Max Tivoli that really changed my life in a lot of ways. And But a lot of people will uh, assume less is my first book. It was my sixth, sixth book. But I, I get it. I understand. I see what you're talking about. Like it, it just. I, I didn't quite show up for a lot of people until, until I won a Pulitzer Prize. I understand that. That's probably true about a lot of writers I know. I heard of them because they won, like a Nobel Prize. Most of us haven't heard of those writers. Well, as someone who's creeping towards fifty myself, and as a person ah, who has published, <laughs> thank you. As a person who's only published one middling book and dreams of writing more, I felt, I'm not a gay man from California, but I felt so incredibly seen by Arthur Less. Like Arthur, I wake up every day dreaming of possibilities and often end the day a little bit overcome by what I've not yet accomplished. And he was a fast friend. I worked a worked a political campaign and 2016, 17, and 18. So I missed this book when it first came out, all the fanfare, all the all the everything. And then in 2018 and 2019, I got to go back and pick up everything. So I, I have a fond memory of coming to Arthur Less and him getting me through the pandemic. And oh, so I, what made you want to revisit this guy? Because he, I would not have thought him sequel worthy. And I hesitate to even call it a sequel because I really do think it's a standalone. Um, 
What made you want to come back and, and hang with Arthur Less? Well, I wasn't supposed to. My agent told me not to. Because um, I told her I was still fiddling around with stories with Arthur Less, and she said, you can't write a sequel to a Pulitzer Prize winning novel, so stop thinking about it. <laughs> so I didn't. I wrote another, I tried writing another book, um, and it was just terrible. And I, by then, I think the pandemic was starting, and I just thought, you know what, um, Michael Chabon told me on winning the Pulitzer Prize that then you can write whatever you want. So I'm just going to write whatever I want. Because I wanted to be back in that world. I wanted to be back with someone who everything goes wrong for him and he wakes up the next day and he thinks it's going to go great all over again. That kind of renewed hope and innocence that is always dashed but is ever renewed um, felt like the right place to be. And I, so I really enjoyed being there again. I love his relentless, impossible optimism. I mean, not long, not too far into the book, we learn that he's fixing to be homeless, right? He's not been paying the rent yeah. on this <laughs> this domicile or, or shack that he didn't, it didn't occur to him that he should be paying because it was someone else's. And so he's he's about to be without a place to live and hapless wanderer that he is, just like before he starts saying yes to improbable or impossible things, the kind of stuff you probably say no to, but this is going to pay the bills and it's going to get him the rent money to to fix everything. And I believe him. One of my favorite things is that however impossible or improbable his scheme seems, I'm along for the ride. Now, what could possibly go wrong on that donkey into that canyon? What could possibly <laughs> go wrong in that, I can't even call it a nudist colony because it was only a section of the, what could possibly go wrong with that tap you're not supposed to fiddle with yeah. um, beneath the stars? And they're not nude. I they're love just, that. He, he's the only one naked. <laughs> <laughs> Clothing is optional. And so he thinks Clothing that optional. Cool yeah. <laughs> it's like everyone's worst nightmare, but he just rolls along with it and they speak German and almost so does he. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Um, are, do you speak German or did you have someone to help you with no. the, the phrases? I took, um, German for a few months and, uh, gave up because I, I just thought this is, it's, this is like learning Latin. There's too many declensions. I'm not interested anymore. My father speaks German. Um, and I knew enough German to know how it's constructed. And then I would sit there with, uh, Google translate and try to get, um, something that would sound like a pun in German. So get as close as possible. Although a German recently confronted me because he uses the wrong word for flood. Flood. He, he's, he says pan flute. And they're like, what are you talking about pan flute? You know, Noah and the pan flute. And they're like, oh, flood. And the German was like, those two words don't sound alike. I'm like, it's inundation and tin flute. And he's like, oh, yeah, those are similar. <laughs> I was like, I tried. <laughs> But pan flute is funnier than tin flute because it's a pan flute. I just think, you know, it is. some it license. Is. Absolutely some license. And and as a reader, we don't know either word. So we're just laughing at him la yelling around. And there is something to do with trying to tra to communicate across um, a divide. I In the before times when I used to travel more, I remember 
oh, Cinque Terre in, in Italy, arriving in one of those tiny towns, reservation lists, I, I should have called you, um, with no reservation and, and meeting a, a woman who said that her uncle or someone's cousin down the hill had a room. And that's all, you know, a friend of a friend of an, a stranger. And <laughs> it flooded in the middle of the night. We woke up to the sound of the same oh. tap water in the middle of the night, and all of our belongings were floating. And I neither knew the gentleman's name from whom we'd rented, nor the the langu- what the word in Italian was for flood. So, I, we, you know, my, my husband and I flipped a coin, and I decided to go up the staircase that I'd never been up to and yell, what did I yell, aqua? Because <laughs> I knew water. And piso, which may or may not mean floor, and pronto, which I think meant now. So I'm just like, aqua. Piso, pronto, and a naked Italian man comes rushing down the stairs, and it was enough. But those, um, the ways we communicate across distance and divides can often be quite hilarious, and they are in this book. Um, you know what I also like is that when Les does not know the language, so there's also there's an Italian moment, right? He he talks to Freddie's uncle, and in, in sort of a Freddie is the narrator of Les is Lost, and and is, is Les's partner. And we get this beautiful Italian conversation where Les says he, he understands Italian. And, the, and the, I wrote this down. The uncle says, quote, the problem in the world is that we aren't kind to one another. We have one another. That's all we have. We must celebrate them. Remember that. I don't care who you love. But if you love someone, if you love someone, you have to love them every day. You have to choose them every day. And so there I am in love with this Italian uncle. And there's Les <laughs> telling Freddie, yeah, I don't know what he said. I don't know what <laughs> I don't know what the guy said. I can't remember. I couldn't understand it. So even when when Les has the opportunity to to hear something beautiful and actually truly connect, he he doesn't. <laughs> well it's also it's a trick of mine so that I get to write something really sentimental and then I can undercut it so the reader isn't doesn't roll their eyes too much because they realize. But that's actually a speech that an elderly man gave to me when I was on a uh, uh, floating paddle wheeler on the Columbia River for an article for a travel magazine. So this man told you that and you heard him. That's what he told me. Oh, that's beautiful. I love stealing from real life and then putting it in the book. You should absolutely do that. That's wonderful. Were you simultaneously building your own flotilla out of logs? Was there a was there a an adventure? No, I did do that. <laughs> <laughs> I did that also many years ago uh, uh, in Sweden. I had a, a friend a friend and I we took a water based trip in Sweden and we put we did indeed stay on a on a uh, on a lake with a single hotel room on a lake and we had to build um uh, uh rafts out of out of giant logs and rope and go for 5 days down the river that's excellent i uh I, so in the book for folks who haven't read it definitely uh <laughs> arthur less takes his partner freddie on what he hopes will be a romantic <laughs> a romantic outing and and as often happens with our um, heroic, um, our heroic man Arthur Less, he just ends up into you know losing all their food, or they wake up in a fish tank, or um, as he calls the Grand Canyon, a, 
a geological striptease. There's just, it, it doesn't go as planned. And that's, for most of us, maybe we don't end up in quite his conundrums, but very little goes as planned anyway. And there's something fantastic about embracing the new possibilities, I think, that that Arthur gives us that opportunity to do. Well, I try to. I'm not really that good at this, but um, certainly as a a big traveler, I was a travel writer for a while. And so when people ask me for travel advice, what I always tell them is, is like the point of travel is for something to go wrong. That you think it's not. You think you've got this great itinerary, but you'll that's no fun. Like if something goes wrong and you overcome it, like you're abandoned on the side of the road in Morocco and you get picked up by a Bedouin um, tribal people with camels and they take you to their tent and they finally get you to Fez, that's a good outcome. Like that's the thing you didn't expect and you overcame it and that's all you'll remember. That's going to be the whole memory all of, of the that. trip. And that's totally true. I'm thinking back on... We all have the carousel of stories we tell at parties where our partner rolls our eyes because we're launching into that same story. But more often than not, it's the story about missing the ferry or going the wrong way or entering what you thought was your class reunion and realizing not till 30 minutes later, it's a wedding. (laughs) And (laughs) you didn't recognize anyone. You're just thinking, well, they should have had name tags. I'm surprised there's no name tags. And it's only when the bride and groom enter that you realize you're at the wrong. But those are the stories you tell, those accidental adventures. There's plenty of times when I'm just laughing out loud alone reading your most recent book. I have have decided to incorporate the the rhetorical question, what fresh moose is this, into my everyday (laughs) vernacular. trying to work it in. So if it becomes a phrase, just understand I'm trying to I'm trying to have what fresh Thank moose you, is this yeah. just what be fresh moose what is we this? ask. <laughs> <laughs> oh like I'm, I'm crying glad. just thinking of how funny. Why why are you funny? Like I mean I'm circling back to this chat. Like are you are you like why are you funny? The chemists were the chemists were your mom dad no, hilarious people? I'm, just funny yeah, chemists? Well, I, I'm not actually not that funny, I don't think, in my group of friends. I don't think I'm known for being um, particularly funny. And I'm certainly not in my other books known for being funny. But I think on the page I'm funnier because I have time to to get it the way I wish I'd say it in person. You know, I'm not a great wit. Um, I, I, but I'm um, um, intermittently lighthearted. <laughs> You know, it comes and goes. You know, that spirit of the staircase where you have the right thing to say only after you're leaving the party. That's me. But that's good. I'm a novelist. I can have that and just pretend I said it then. Uh, that's most of it. I, I just write down when things occur to me that they're funny. I write them down in a notebook. And I think a lot of writers do that because it, the funny stuff is not constant in life. It's, but you have to catch it and remember it. And so I do. And, but some of it comes on the page. Like, lo- what fresh moose is this just seemed funny to me because I already had a moose. And it's um, it's from Dorothy Parker, what fresh hell is this? Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's funny. The word moose is so funny. <laughs> <laughs> it 100% is. And just everywhere in this book, I, I realized how I, I have read um, the name's escaping me, but it's a story of a marriage, but not quite. What's that yeah. book called of yours? 
Yeah, story of a marriage. Yeah, that's not that's not funny. And I think I read it after less and realized that okay, yeah, you get to, you can flex. You can do. Um, it's not that there's nothing funny in there, but it's it's not a comedic novel that you can do both. A lot of writers just choose to do one though. A lot of writers don't do much humor on the page either because they're not funny or they don't realize they can revise an extra H or an extra moose into somebody's name. Um, I was thinking about it, that the laugh out loud in uh, a good book doesn't happen. And I mean, every page I'm I'm laughing at something you've done. I'm glad. I agree. It isn't, like it isn't common, but that's what it is. It's playful. And I think that's not so different from Story of a Marriage, where I thought of it as using words and imagery to get the the emotion I wanted on the page. It's not so different for me um, from using, because for me, I like people talk about the books being funny, that there's a moose or like that he floods a commune. But but what I think is, is funny is in the language itself. That's where I had a good time. Um, and that feels like the same pleasure as uh, as writing Story of a Marriage. Hey there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. See you soon. I should point out to folks, it's not just um, it's not just a laugh a minute this book, but you also ask big questions and you make beautiful observations. I mean, we get, oh, what do we want from the past anyway? Or um, what if the whole idea of America is wrong? These gorgeous, chewy questions that because it's a comedic novel – I don't expect you to go on a diatribe and answer, but I'm thinking about them. I'm thinking about what if the whole idea of America is wrong as Les is, is coming out of the canyon in in the West and driving through Texas into Louisiana across the country. I'm thinking about the idea of America and whether I have it wrong, whether we have it wrong. I, I, and, and it just kind of haunts the pages. It's there the whole time. But you've asked it and, and you're still entertaining us. So I love the dance you do with – this is a book I take very seriously. I'm honored to hear you say that. I And I think it was very smart what you just said. I'm going to steal this, that because it's a comic novel, I don't have to answer it. You know, I just have to bring it up and leave it in the background so that it's a sort of secret other novel underneath that's much more serious. And th- that was what was actually on my mind. You know, that's that's what was worrying me while I wrote the book was about the country and its little um, 
pretentious to say it's a book about America. And so luckily, it's a fairly unpretentious novel, and it's just sort of in the background. So thank you for that. That's helpful. Well, thank you for that, because you sent this gay man, this character I love, who I felt relatively safe for in San Francisco, but you sent him across Texas and into Louisiana and then Mississippi, and I was afraid for him and I was worried for him. But I knew that it was a comic novel, and so unlike H.H.H. H. H. Meldern or other other people, I, I did feel like you were going to be you were going to take care with him. That however many hurricanes he encountered, he wasn't going to blow off to sea. Um, but it did make me rethink some of the stories that I tell myself about this country where I mean, I've only ever lived in America. I've traveled other places, but but I think all of us have a version of the story where we are asking ourselves, is this really the best we can do? You know, are we are we really behaving the best we can behave? Certainly our political situation, is this really as good as it gets? Um, and what do we do in the face of that disconnect? And I feel like where... Um, where we're tempted to to pivot toward hatred, it would be really easy for me to just like list the people and groups I feel like I hate right now in America. There's a lot of them. But I feel like less is lost gives us this roadmap where I don't think Arthur Less is capable of hatred in the way that maybe I am. And this willingness to like, whether it's to stumble kind of haplessly into situations where they could be dangerous or to just pivot toward this love, I guess he says something about, or Freddie tells us about less that because he's walked into so many rooms feeling differentness, feeling that I don't belong here, that there is this strange ability that Arthur Less has to be accepting of difference everywhere he finds it because he has been on the receiving of that end of that so much. I don't know that I have a question there, except for so much that I felt like I was seeing my relationship with my in-laws who live in Texas a little bit different, oh, yeah. thinking about how Les encounters folks in the South. Well, it was it was really helpful for me to 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 write about him and 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 there's a good example of how it is not autobiographical because I get really worked up and you know I have a pile of postcards I'm writing to voters in Georgia that I have to finish by the end of the day and that kind of thing. Go Stacey Abrams. Yeah, go Stacey Abrams. Go out and vote, everybody. Um, just Please. scan the QR code on the postcard you get from me. You'll know how to do it. I, I think I'm also at the age where I realize no matter what my feelings are, I'm not very persuasive in an angry mode. I'm definitely not. Um, even with friends, like I have to just stop it. It doesn't, it doesn't work. It's, and um, it doesn't help anybody. It doesn't make me feel better. And I, for instance, I myself went into a dive bar in a rural place in Alabama. I guess you'd call it a redneck bar. And uh, just like Arthur Les does. But I went in not thinking I'm going to talk politics with these people or persuade them. Um, I thought the best thing I could do is to be, and they all knew I was gay, uh, is to go in, be a very neutral, pleasant presence buy a round of Bud Lights and leave before 8.30. And they'll they'll be like, well, wasn't that a nice guy who came in? You know, like they, they and that that might affect more change than if I, you know, had a, a, 
a, a very logical argument for them. I don't think that would be persuasive, but just being there would be persuasive in some way. When I worked on the congressional campaign, I went into it. I was a writer, you know, after 2016, I think many of us who are writerly people felt like, what's the point of telling stories? Why can't we do something? So I worked on this campaign as a writer, and I thought what I was going to do was persuade people with policy. Just if I could just write the right, the logical, if I could just get into their minds with the logic of the policy, I could change minds. And that turns out to be hogwash. That's actually not how people change their minds. People change their minds exactly like you said. Well, I mean, I had a beer with a gay man in Alabama and he seemed okay. That is how people change their minds. They they tell the story of an interaction. I think, it is. I mean, I think both are, are helpful to have the policy. I, I just think I'm not good at the first one and I'm better in the way that like, I used to be like really political out on the streets with the signs and I still am. Um, and like we worked on that for years for gay rights. And I think what changed the most um, for for certainly for gay men in America was will and grace. <laughs> you know, oh my gosh. <laughs> I think that's what changed everything because people were like, I just love that guy, Will. And um, um, Jack is a is a hoot. They should be able to get married. Like, I just think it was like, that's oversimplifying it. But I think it was that simple that they were like, oh, yeah, that's fine. I, they're they're great. I would think it was Will and Grace, and which is so like embarrassing after all that hard work. But um, those writers did hard work too. They made it genuinely funny. Yeah, uh, my kids have grown up in a very different world. I've got three kids who've seen you know every episode of Modern Family, so they they've grown up with Mitch and Cam and Lily. So they they just sort of take oh, yeah. it for granted that families look all different shapes and sizes, and it wouldn't even occur to them that families aren't like that. But when I was growing up, and perhaps you and I might be of a similar age, that when we were growing up, it, what we saw on TV was a little different. You know, we were just, people were just showing divorced families on TV, and we were shocked to discover that you could do that. Or that, that what, what you, representation does matter. Oh, yeah, matter. yeah. It really does. Uh, throughout the book, there are these big questions, most of which are just asked, and, and, you know, Les doesn't try to answer them, but being asked his philosophy of life. He he kind of pivots to you know, he pivots to like little little tidbits and sayings like I've got one where like overalls are always a mistake. But that that's not a philosophy <laughs> of life. That's just like that's just it's a fashion <laughs> that's something I stand by for my body shape. Um but I wondered if when you were asking any of these questions if you know do you have a philosophy of life would you say? And she says um the gal in the book says everyone has one you just have to discover it. So have you discovered it yet? Oh, I, I, you know what? No one's ever asked me that. I'm sure it is something like the Mary Oliver quote that you, that is the basis of the show. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it is because I find myself when given choices of like, I was just given one. It was like, are you willing to fly to India for a, a literary retreat? That's going to be a super long voyage and you only be there for three days and it's Calcutta and it's not very glamorous. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> of course I'll do that because I'm curious, you know, like, and I've been to, to Calcutta before and it's not my favorite city on the earth, but it's sure interesting and it's a challenge for me and I'm up for it again. So I think even though I'm a very cowardly person, um, I end up um, uh, 
agreeing to all kinds of unlikely ad- adventures because I, I'm just sure it's a better way to go, even though it often goes wrong. You know, like it's, I can't be convinced the otherwise. And that way I'm a little like Arthur Less in that I am, I have a re- renewed innocence <laughs> all the time. I understand that. I would, um, I would consider myself Lessian in those ways too. I, I think I would be quite happy to to do the same things in the same place with, this is hearkening back to the other book, but my, my exercise bands and I would just follow my same routines. But because I have this, this philosophy floating around that I don't put voice to, but that I need to say yes instead of no. I, I am a no person, right? I'm just going to stay here and read my book. I'm going to be what well, Ann Tyler's accidental tourist in my chair, right? That's that's my default mode. But but we just get this we just get this one chance. We get just get these handful of days. And I believe that an- adventures are worth the mishaps. That there is no such thing as as a as a perfect day. There's only striving towards yes in the face of no, and seeing what stories you discover accidentally along the way. Especially after this pandemic, and we all, I got became very, very reclusive, like a real hermit, especially because I was working on a novel. I would, there was no saying yes, there was nothing on offer. It was just being at home. And I have had to force myself when people are like tonight, there's uh, the Italian Institute in San Francisco was like, do you want to come see rock star Diodato sing in Italian? And I'm like, yes. yes. And another friend's like, I'm throwing a DJ party at this um, this bar, and I'm like, I'll do both of them, but I have a thing in the morning, much like this one. So I'm like, <laughs> I have to make sure I don't overdo it. But like, mm-hmm. I yes, I will totally do those. I why not? Yeah, say yes as often as possible. Say no occasionally, but but what's the worst that could happen is you can have a great story. Is most of the time what happens. Uh, another question that's asked of of um, Arthur Less in this book is 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 it worth it? Being a writer, is it worth it? So I'll ask you that as well. Is it worth it? I was thinking about that just this morning. Um, well, because I think about my partner um, and what he has to go through while I'm working on a book, which is um, um, is something that readers wouldn't think of. They think that I maybe I go through a tortured artist phase, but they don't realize that the person who has to live with the tortured artist is um, it's like someone... It's like living with someone who has a demon possession. You know, there's nothing. What can you do? You can't exercise it. You just have to kind of talk to the demon and live with the demon. Um, it's un- to be with someone whose moods swings are not chemical, but are nonetheless imagined <laughs> um, because they have to do with something on a page you've never seen. I think that's hard. And there are books where I put friends and family through a lot for me to get through the book. And... I don't think the book ended up the, the I should have actually worked harder. The book didn't end up um, the way I wanted, and so it was not worth it. And I hope the people around me can forgive me because they're like, "Oh, I see why he did that." Do you at least open the door from time to time and shout, "Champagne!" No. <laughs> Sometimes I'm in a good mood. I mean, I cook dinner every night. You know, it's not like I'm gone for, I'm a terrible person. I make coffee in the morning. I make dinner at night. I'm pleasant to be around at those times somewhat. Sometimes not at dinner. <laughs> uh, That's you know, excellent. 
but the champagne because that's another total arrogant <laughs> moment <laughs> but that would be impossible to live with the person's like thank you no i don't want champagne right it's two now. in the afternoon <laughs> yeah well if you if you had said a hard no that it was not worth it i was going to suggest a side hustle of of like the lessian trip advisor you know would be vacationers could vol- could call you and now that i know that you've got reservationist skills, you know, you could book them on on log raft trips or um, you could send them into canyons on donkeys or you could offer them off, 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 off Southern, not Broadway theater tours where they have to <laughs> carry the the set in their uh, transport convertible vans. <laughs> yeah, I just don't want any complaints. <laughs> I'm not responsible for what happens. I'm going to set you up for failure. That is, that's... Uh... The name of the travel. Agency. I actually think there'd be a market for that. Just you know, you're you're guaranteeing someone we're gonna we're gonna book it, and it's not gonna go as as we planned, and you'll never hear from us again. We're gonna, you just book it and go. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, there are so many other lines I could talk about. Just like, do you know the problem with American writers? Commas, or we could talk about the black velvet beard on a brown. <laughs> no, it's a black velvet beard on a brown velvet suit on a green velvet coach couch. I mean, like, I love the way that you play with language, and it is as fun to read your um, your prose as it must be, perhaps unfun to have to deal with you while you're writing it. But um, I also know that your time is precious, and I want to wrap here. I always wrap with a few. Um, Kind of just multiple choicey questions to give people a glimpse of the the man behind the man. Um, so multiple choice here: dogs or cats? Dogs. <laughs> coffee or tea? Oh, coffee. <laughs> I was thinking back to there's a there's a handful of dogs that we meet. Is it Tomboy? Is Tomboy the first dog we meet in this book? The girl Tomboy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of course it's a girl. <laughs> I, lo- I loved that because I assumed it was a boy as well. But no, I, I figured dogs as much. <laughs> it's a girl. It's a tomboy. <laughs> I love that. I also took a moment. I He has since passed away, but I had a hound. He was the first canine love of my life. And so, like, I appreciated that you set foot in a hound cemetery because I wrote, like, a eulogy for my hound, and I just, I felt so seen by this book. <laughs> there is one in Alabama. Of course there is. And in fact, there is a headstone that says, he was not the best I ever, he was not the best, but he was the best I ever had. I'm like, oh, that's, that's so excellent. awful. <laughs> he was average, but he was mine. Oh. <laughs> but he was mine. Um, uh, mountains or beach? Mountains. Um, early bird or night owl? Ooh, I, I don't know. I'm all over the place. I'm both. I know. Today it's both. Yeah. Um, love, <laughs> love or cheese? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> I think it depends on your um, stage of life, that one. I'll go love. <laughs> but catch me at 70, I might go cheese. <laughs> I loved I loved that that one comes right back. That comes right from the book, folks. I, it's plagiarism on my, but it's allowed. Um, are you are you a risk taker or the person who always knows where the band aids are? Oh, I don't know because I'm such a risk averse person, and yet I think like you, I end up taking the risk anyway. I I well, the truth is, I fumble for where the band aids are. 
I buy them, but I don't remember where they are. <laughs> where do they always go? Um, okay, these are a few fill in the blanks. If I wasn't working as a writer, I would be a... A uh, 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 line cook. What's a line cook? I know what a cook is, but what's a line cook do? I'm not a chef, but I think I could fulfill the chef's desires. I could do this so stuff. like make me that thing and you just it, would just do it. Yeah, like you sous vide the steak, but then you when they're like steak well, table 12, you like you sear it and then you know whatever. And then you get the beans and the pan and the fires up. I think I could do that. I like it. I like it. Uh what's Panicky. What's something quirky? <laughs> Uh, that folks don't usually know about you. This could be a like, could be a love, it could be a a pet peeve. Uh, one of my favorite hobbies is stain removal. <laughs> so, like the the water stain on my couch, you just just go to town on that. Oh yeah, I mean mostly clothes, but definitely furniture. I know how to get things out. I can get out sharpies. How do you get out stains. a sharpie stain? I can get out wait, wait. ballpoint pen, acetone. Acetone. So, um, nail polish nail, remover. Nail, nail polish remover. Yeah. You need to put a cloth under it and put the nail polish remover on top and then blot it and it goes under it into the other cloth and it's gone. I just did it the other day. It's great. Ballpoint pins is, is hairspray, which I'm not sure exists anymore. I'm a child of the 80s. I've got I've always got hairspray in the back of a yeah, I could yeah. I could hairspray takes out ballpoint pen. Yeah. And so on. Yeah. All right. You use you use um um a bathroom rust remover to get rid of um Yellow stains around your collar. Um, yeah. This is excellent. I got, I'm really is a hobby. That's yeah. fantastic. I'm, I'm a good source for that. Um, all right, I got two more for you. What's your favorite ice cream? Um, I like um, the, the nochola, the, the hazelnut and chocolate. Okay, so I know there's like Gelato. stracciatella, right? That's like the little chocolate yeah, stracciatella. And so then yeah. this one has hazelnuts and chocolate or hazelnut? H- hazelnut. Nocciola. Well, nocciola is just hazelnut and a chocolatey thing. And then there's another one called, um, I think it's janduja, which is chocolate with a little hazelnut. Those are both great. Okay. I'm going to be in Italy for Thanksgiving, much to my family's, well, my delight and their chagrin. So I'm going to go in pursuit of these things. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. Excellent. All right, last one. If we were to take a picture of you just really happy and doing something you love, what would we see you doing? I think um, outside dancing during the day. That's fantastic. I love that image. Hey, thank you, Andrew, Sean, Greer. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. This has been a delight. Uh, you are a delight. And thank you for the gentle nudge that we we should always quote Go get lost somewhere. It always does you good. I'm, 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 I'm gonna heed this advice, and I'm just so grateful that for this character and for your work, folks. Andrew Sean Greer's most recent book is called Less Is Lost. You can find it at your local library or any indie store where books are sold. We are wishing all of you love and light wherever this day takes you. Be good to yourself and be good to one another, and we'll see you again soon on this wild and precious journey. Wild Precious Life is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to executive producers Gerardo Orlando and Michael D'Aloya, producer Sarah Wilgrub, and audio engineer Ian Douglas. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. 
History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. Thank you.